Y'all, we live in difficult times. There's war, political unrest, the pandemic, poverty, families being torn, communities ripped by gun violence and people dying every day. Police, injustice, it's all bringing so much pain. But y'all, we can look inside our minds and we can understand who we are, become better, and do this thing like we've never done it before. But it all starts with our mental health and I know we can do it. I believe in you because I believe in me and I believe in us. Hello, this is Gerald McGee, clinical therapist and founder of Everyday People Individual and Family Counseling Center located in the Shore Cultural Center, the big red building in the middle. Today we will be discussing human instincts. They are quiet but powerful part of our past, present, and future. Our survival as a species has been built on them. Today I would like to explore how our instincts influence our mental health. I want to say happy Father's Day to all the the fathers out there, I know that you've put in a lot of effort for your, for your children. You know, I think of a father, I think of a provider, I think of a teacher. I think of uh, the coolest playmate and ultimately a good friend. You know, I can think of one occasion with my own father um, where when I was a child playing little league football, I was a running back. I was running up. I had got a play. It was a 44 dive. I went up the four hole, started running down the field. And all the way going down the field, my dad was running down the sideline like, go, Gerald, go, Gerald. And I'm like, so like, wow, look at my dad. I can see him on the sideline just running. And it made me feel so good. Secondly, man, this inflation stuff has got us like crazy right now, right? Everything costs so much. Couldn't imagine it would ever get this bad. I know people are having a hard time getting the things they need. It's all crazy and trying to understand it. Supply chains, interest rates, it just all seems like a blur and something needs to get done. And it gets more difficult when you say that because when you realize, can the president really do something about it? Change it? Mm, maybe a little. Can businesses really do something about it? Mm, maybe a little. But until the supply chains improve and we can actually meet the demand then it's probably going to keep going up. But I guess that just means we'll be staying home. Hey, we learned how to do that during the pandemic, right? So we got it all figured out. So we'll be all right. The last thing I would like to say is attitudes of gratitude. I would encourage everyone to speak life into someone else. You know, say something encouraging, motivate them, inspire them to, towards some goodness. We all have the power to speak life into someone else. So no matter how you feel, Take a moment, realize that you're blessed and say to someone else something kind, something warm, something loving to help them get through their day. And with that being said, I want to move into this whole thing of human instincts and what they are, because human instincts are a very powerful part of who we are, because they have been with us from the very beginning. And if there was not for human instincts, we would not be here. Human instincts are natural or inherent. It's an aptitude our impulse or capacity is not something that we have to be using reasoning for. It can be said it's below the conscious level 
But we might do things instinctively, but it's, we're not really thinking about it. I like to explore these in therapy because although we may not be aware of them, they impact our actions. So sometimes when people are going through things and they have certain behaviors and they feel really bad about those behaviors, I like to let them know that some of those behaviors might be natural things that humans might do. Why? Because they actually contribute to our survival. We need our instincts to be here. Think about it. Eating. Did somebody have to teach you how to do that? Nah, but you did get better at it though, didn't you? Communicating. In some way or another, baby figured that out even before they could talk, how to let people know that they're discomfort. Instinctively. Nobody taught them how to do that. One of the first ones I talk about is conservation of energy. Essentially saying, hey, we only use the energy we need to do things. We ain't trying to work no harder than we have to. For many people, that's why they may not be as motivated as others to get certain things done. But think about it. Our ancestors, when they was out there trying to work and trying to hunt for food, when they wasn't doing that, they was trying to chill, trying to lay back until it was the next time. Because if they didn't get enough food to eat or if they burnt off too many calories, they probably would die. So they had to learn to manage that in order to survive. So it might be fair to say that to be lazy is actually in our DNA. But the good thing about being lazy, if you are creative and lazy, it will lead to invention and creation of things to make it easier to do hard work, like the car or a truck or a hammer. Self-preservation or selfishness. Our ancestors probably realized if they didn't manage what they had, particularly in environments where it got cold, then they would die. So they had to learn how to set boundaries with food and make sure they have enough resources to get through the difficult times because if they didn't do that, mm, who was they going to turn to? So in order to survive, they had to be aware of what they had. Kind of like the squirrels, you know what they do. I'm fascinated because they don't seem like they're all that bright, but they actually are pretty bright. They take the nuts in a sense, they weigh them to decide like how good they are and they bury them in different places. So you don't, they don't have all their good nuts or their better nuts and not, they're not so good nuts in the same place. They spread them around. And I guess if they missed them, I guess trees or some other plant will grow there. But that's what, that's their tactic. Humans had some of those same type of instincts. Empathy, being aware and sensitive to the feelings and experiences of others without fully understanding the experience, humans realize that being empathetic towards the feelings of other people would actually help them get along. Sounds like there was some reward in that, right? But it is what it is. Yeah, they would, they would, they would get along better. They could solve problems better. They could work together and understand each other's feelings and, and, and emotions. Think about a small child. Before they're even the age of one, they could sense when somebody's sad or frustrated and may try to console them. I've seen babies in cribs, one cry, the other one take the arm and put it around them and try to show support. See, it's in our DNA. Being social, being light. You know, being social gave human life more definition and purpose. To be light provides more security in a group and a sense of sense of purpose. Humans push for position in their tribe, clans, and their villages because it gave them 
something more than just existing. Just think when you have something, when you have a role, if you had no one to share it with, how much would it mean? I got my big mansion by the ocean, but no one to share it with. Sometimes I heard people say it's, it's lonely at the top because maybe you have no friends, but being human and being connected to others is so important. If you think this is some old rhetoric that I'm talking about, think about the parade on social media every day, people using their resources to get likes by other people. And, you know, I've been in therapy sessions where people have been upset because somebody didn't like their posts. <laughs> their day is messed up because somebody didn't like their posts. And it's not just about the posts. It's about how they feel about the post that creates the problem because that post and people liking it in some way validates their existence. So this idea of posts help us, helps us like being liked, helps us to feel real and validated as human beings. Think about the clothes we wear. Gotta have some Jordans, right? Um, and all the other name brands. Do we just do that for ourselves because we like the way it feels? Perhaps we do. But for many of us, especially our teenage kids, they ain't cool unless they wearing that kind of stuff. And how many of them would wear those, we used to call them buttercups, rejects, and all those other kind of shoes. They ain't trying to wear those things. Why? Because they won't look, they won't be cool. So you see, we can go back hundreds of thousands of years ago. People was trying to find a sense of purpose and trying to, to feel liked and engaged. And as we grow up and move through life, it's still important. Another thing I want you to consider that for many people who commit suicide, they do it because they are isolated within their family and community. They feel all by themselves. You know, as a therapist, one of the first things I look for when it comes to suicidal risk is does a person or individual feel socially isolated? And if they do, then it increases the likelihood that they will act on their behavior. According to the Federation of Suicide Prevention, 45,979 people committed suicide in the United States, making it the 12th leading cause of death. Aggression, hostile injuries, destructive behaviors, or outlooks, especially when caused by frustration. It can be physical or verbal. Look, aggression is everywhere in everything that we experience. Think about small children, the quick bite or the hit. You know, my daughter used to take me and she would just squeeze my hand and look at me in my face. And, and she, it was like she wanted to see if I was hurting and she wouldn't stop until I was hurting. Who taught her that? I'll be like, girl, who taught you that? Where did you learn to torture me? It was already in her. She already had it. I didn't have to teach her. But our desire and our motivation towards aggression is oftentimes being demonstrated in TV, music, writing, social media, all over the place. I, you know what? Honestly, I think we like that. Did I say it that way? Sorry, mom. We like, you know, like it's giving us some aggression. You know, most of the movies that come out, if it got some aggression in it, oh, it's got some action. Oh, it's good. And you know, those old good action movies, people may, may say they're not so good no more. Not because the story ain't good. It's because they don't have enough bombs blowing up. They don't have enough gunfire. They don't have enough noise. They don't have enough sex in it. It's just don't have enough of that stuff. 
I guess that makes sense when you consider how overstimulated we are now. We get so much of that stuff that we can't appreciate it in slower, smaller doses. Aggression does have a protective quality because it helps us manage danger. When we get angry, we have an adrenaline flow, which helps make us stronger, faster, so we can uh, protect ourselves or even get away from things. The problem with it is it makes us more irrational. I like to tell people when you get angry, you know, your IQ goes down. That just means you're just not as smart. People do dumb things when we get mad. We call them crimes of passion. But there's also flight and freeze responses, which we can talk about at another time. We revenge eye for an eye. Man, I'm going to make people pay for their transgression. This helps keep some type of social order. You know, maybe it was stoning, burning, or impelling. They did all kind of terrible stuff back in the day, but they wanted people to pay for their wrongdoings. And they probably believed by doing so, it would encourage other people to walk the right path. And to some degree, this may be true. But as a therapist, what I find many times, when people who have lost loved ones or they've been victims of heinous crimes, Going through the very legal process and dealing with all the things in order to get justice for their family member, that might be very motivating at the time. But once it's over, once all things are said and done, the unfortunate thing, they might find themselves still grieving the loss or the change like it just happened. So in many cases, the so-called justice doesn't change anything, you see, because the life is forever changed of the victim. The life is ever changed of the family. And of course, if someone's died, then they won't ever be back again. So justice or eye for eye may address the issue to maybe hope reduce the risk in the future, but it won't change the loss that one faces when some terrible event has happened. Physical touch is essential for our physical, emotional, and intellectual development. So children won't grow up healthy without it. They need it. Adults, we need it too. Being physically close probably helps, helped our ancestors, not just in connecting, but also in surviving cold climates. Because before they really had heat, and even when they had heat, to be able to manage in the elements, they had to sit close. They actually probably slept on top of each other. Did you ever see the crudes? Yeah, they would lay on top of each other to stay warm. And we complain sometimes about our beds and want these plush, awesome, amazing mattresses. And we don't want nobody sleeping with us. But just imagine a world where we had to sleep on top of each other to stay warm. Quite different. Procreation. Man, this is one of my favorites. There's 7.8 billion people on Earth. And it's not because we make rational choices with relationships or sex. No, it's not because of that. Think about it. Potentially 50% of all pregnancies are unplanned. That means we weren't thinking about it when it happened. It just happened. When we meet someone, the dopamine kicks in in our brain and we're driven towards the object of our attractions. This will motivate our behavior in the early stages. And why are we being motivated in the early stages? We won't even think about the possible, well, let me say this. We won't be thinking that much about the consequences of our actions. In fact, we might see 
red flags, yellow flags, might only have a few green flags, but for whatever reason, we'll keep moving forward because this dopamine reward, reward we get when we're around this person feels so good. Don't let nobody try to tell you something about, hmm, girl, boy, I think you better slow down with that. We'll be so in our feelings. And sometimes I like to call this motivated rationalization. We'll find a way to rationalize away the thing that's in front of us because that dopamine surge is pushing us towards this object of our attraction. Think about it like this. You go to a car dealer, you know the car you can afford and what you want. But when you get there, you see something better, you like it, and then you find a way to rationalize why you should get the car that you can't afford versus the car that you can. So you come up with all these rationalizations and in your mind, it makes sense. But it's motivated by your emotions and instinctive drives. So you're not making a rational decision, but you think you are. Knowing this, it's important that you give yourself time when somebody's in front of you. Attraction is powerful. So don't underestimate how it can reduce your ability to be rational. Features over character will lead to less interesting long-term relationships. Let me say again, features, physical that is, or maybe even charisma that is, so that might be an internal quality, may not be long-lasting because character is probably going to give you the opportunity to have something that will be more real. Opposites attract, but not for long. If something is good for you, it won't be perfect, but it should not always be hurting you. Short-sightedness. Hmm. Short-sightedness is definitely a part of our human nature. Impulsiveness. This is probably because our ancestors probably had to immediately respond to dangers in their environment, whether it be weather, whether it be animals, whether it be fire or some other thing. And once it was resolved, they were okay. After that, they didn't really have to focus on the problem. Today, there are many situations that we could probably respond to immediately and react. But there's so many more situations that require us to think about the long-term consequences of our actions. And because of that, our central nervous system is under more strain than it ever has been before because we have to think about every day, our bills, our finances, managing our money. We have to think about our kids, their education. We have to think about um, retirement. We have to think about if I want to beat the hell out of somebody. We have to think about those things because any of those things could lead to long-term consequences that we just may not want to face. So we struggle with that now, but it's part of our nature. It was once and it still is a part of our survival, but the world we live in now requires us to think more long-term. This has probably been a part of us from the very foundation of our existence. Black, white, up, down, wrong, right, putting things in one or the other category. For our ancestors, it probably helped keep them safe, understanding things had to be done by a certain time, so it had to be this or it had to be that. Uh, the f food 
or the, the harvest had to be prepared by a certain time. You had to hunt at a certain time because after a certain time it became dangerous. So in order to stay alive, they had very rigid boundaries, which look binary. Male, female is also a binary um, categorization. And so we might also say defining very specific things. It helped them categorize the world and understand it and uh, label things in a way that they could actually be more effective. Dichotomous thinking, I think, is also binary, but it tends to look at the opposite. When I was a kid, I used to hear people say, the grass looks greener on the other side. And I think to some degree, dichotomous thinking allows us to look on the other side, assuming that it might be better than where we are now. And being human and being explorers, because we are dichotomous thinkers, we might have actually decided a long time ago when indigenous people who first came to America, they came across the Bering Strait, they landed in a certain place and they said, this is nice, this is wonderful, hmm, but I wonder what's over there. And so they kept moving. This is nice. This is wonderful. So I'm going to go over there. And they kept doing this and doing this until they had spread it all over the Americas into the uh, South America. Why? Because they were exploring. They were curious about the world and the opposite of their current experience. And in that sense, I think dichotomous thinking allows us to be, um, to be productive. One of the challenges with binary thinking, we tend to put things in certain category and then we would label those things in ways that doesn't allow for any gray like male and female so we look at male and female roles and we say a female should be this way a male should be that way um or dichotomous thinking when we complain about um where we are and we look at things and say well it's green on the other side is it really green on the other side or do we perceive that because we are not there but once we get there, we might realize it's the same old, same old. We're just in a different place. So we have to understand that that plays on us. Now, one of the things I like to emphasize about this is that we live in a world that markets to us around the things we don't have. So whether it be cars, clothes, fashion, material gain, well, we are oftentimes being encouraged to go out and get more. And that may also put a stress on our central nervous system. In a sense, our thinking has been hijacked for us to always be thinking about what we don't have. So it's harder for us to be content. Hypervigilance, alert possible dangers. You know, I think about meerkats. If you ever watch them play, you'll see them running around, but there's always one and sometimes two meerkats on the edge of their area. And they are looking around to make sure that there's no danger. And they'll do that for a certain period of time. And then they'll go back down and play. And another one will come up. Well, human beings, we, we're always looking out for dangers. You know, our ancestors would have food insecurities, weather conditions, maybe enemies that they may have had concerns about. But once those things were addressed, they were okay. However, today we are exposed to so much information about dangers, potential dangers and risk that we can be in a cycle of constantly feeling unsafe and concerned about our present, our future, what happened in our past. So our brain doesn't ever get a break. We are constantly ruminating about our fears because 
our central nervous system has been hijacked by the constant information about our experiences and the dangers that lie within. Look, we may not totally be aware of our instincts, and we talked about a lot of them today, but we see them play out in our lives every day. I think everyone should reflect and look at some of your own behaviors and see if you can identify some of your possibly instinctive behaviors that you might already have decided that these behaviors are bad or good. But I think, as my father said, it's important that we learn how to regulate our instinctive drives so we can be our best selves and take actions that will help us get where we're trying to go. It might be as simple as turning the social media off, TV off, the radio. It might be as uh, complex as you know, cutting off some friends or changing your job. But whatever you decide to do, if it works to improve your overall well-being and health, then it's probably in the long run going to be to your benefit. I hope you enjoyed the show. Next time, we'll be celebrating Juneteenth, and we'll be talking about how Black Americans are uniquely affected by mental health. I hope you will listen in because it's going to be a smoking show. Y'all have a wonderful day.